What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'm not a real doctor, but I am a real worm. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And our other co-host, Joe McCormick, is out today, but he will be back very soon. And in the meanwhile... We're going to talk... 3D printing! Yay! Because <laughs> it's been like three days. Yeah, or two and a half minutes, so, yeah. you know, yes. So, 3D printing. You may have heard us talk about this in such episodes as all the other ones we've done. As but literally every episode we've <laughs> ever done on Forward Thinking. But we wanted to specifically look at 3D printing in emerging fields of uh, of medicine. Not, yeah. And not in the way that you might think, because we have talked about 3D printers being used to print things like joints like a mm-hmm. new knee joint or hip joint. And we've talked about 3D printers to print even things like prosthetic arms or uh, even in the further off in the future, because this is not a mature technology yet, but living organs using 3D printers to print actual organs for transplant mm-hmm. patients. Yeah. Maybe possibly if we work a whole lot of stuff out, but stuff that is 
working right now in the incredible future that is today yeah. is a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's some more stuff that we wanted to talk about that that is outside of those uses. So one of them is the concept of 3D printed drugs, which I think we may have mentioned on a previous episode. But the reason we're bringing it back up now is that in August 2015, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, also known as the FDA, approved a 3D printed drug for the first time ever called Spritum or Spritum or Spritom. It could be Spritom. It's also known as a Levetiracetam. Cool. Yeah, it's it's a pill specifically designed to help treat patients who are suffering from seizures like epilepsy or other types of seizures. Mm-hmm. And and it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, they, they created it with a 3D printer specifically because that technology lets them build a, a pill that's that's porous throughout mm-hmm. that therefore can dissolve rapidly on contact and, and, you know, get the medicine into the patient immediately. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of the things I was reading about because I was curious, I was like, well. So it dissolves better. Okay, so what? Mm -hmm. But two things. One, uh, for people who have seizures, it means they can get that medication in their system much more rapidly. And prevent the onset of a seizure. Stop it before it really starts. And another is that we're talking like seriously dissolving rapidly so that people who have trouble swallowing pills, whether it's due to a medical issue or maybe it's a child who doesn't normally swallow pills, it's much easier to get the pill down than for people, you know, than a, than a standard pill that would take a while to dissolve within the stomach itself. Oh, sure. And, and furthermore, if uh, if someone doesn't like swallowing pills, they're unlikely to take their medication as yes. prescribed. And this could help alleviate that. Yeah, it's called adherence. The uh, concept of patients adhering to their medication, not sticking to it, but sticking with it. So in other words, they are more likely to continue taking their medication at the right time mm-hmm. because it's not a, a completely unpleasant experience. Any of us who have had to take medications that are rough for one reason or another, maybe it's the application itself, like it's an injection or maybe it's the way it makes us feel afterward, you know it takes an effort of will to continuously do that through the course of a medication and it can get really hard on you psychologically. So anything that reduces that psychological burden on a patient is it's a considered positive a thing. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the technology came out of MIT, right? Yeah, MIT developed the actual 3D printing technology. The company that makes the drug is Apprecia Pharmaceuticals. And uh, they ended up calling the specific impl- implementation of this technology originally developed by MIT Zipdose. So Zipdose is how they call it. And it's a neat process. It first involves laying down a layer of powdered medicine. Then it applies a drop of liquid that binds the particles together and creates that first porous layer. So that's layer one of your medication. And if you've ever used a 3D printer, you'll see that it lays down a thin layer of plastic or some other material. But Mm -hmm. plastic is generally what the consumer ones use. And then it will lay... Another layer on top of that and another one on top of that and build it layer by layer until you get a final product. Well, mm-hmm. in this case, it's doing that, but with the powdered medication and then a drop of liquid to bind stuff together. The neat thing about this is using this process, you can actually determine you can you can uh, tailor each pill to have a specific amount of the active pharmacological drug 
in that stuff. Uh, right, which again makes it easier on the patient because the patient doesn't have to like like split a pill in half. Right. Or you know maybe they've got a whole bunch of different stuff that they have to take together, and this could potentially let you print a single pill. Yeah. To take something like that. Yeah. So it means that like uh, you might say, well, uh, we want to give a certain number of milligrams of this as a dose. Normally, we would get these one type of pills and cut them in half, like Lauren was saying, mm-hmm. which is not always an exact science if they give it to you to take to home. <laughs> right. Usually the, the pharmacologist will do it. You know, like the pharmacist will do it rather. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll do, do it for you. But, but this way you print the pills specifically to the needs of the patient, mm-hmm. meaning that down the road, we could see personalized medicine where a very specific dosage is created for that person. And it may even be that that dosage needs to change over time and that they could continuously print these pills so that they met the patient's needs throughout the course of the treatment. So it's a revolutionary step in that regard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it means you have incredible amount of control. Uh, So pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Now, some people are theorizing that it could be even neater than that. Yeah. Lee Cronin of the University of Glasgow said at a TED Talk once, he talked about the possibility of this being used uh, to the extent that people could have the printers in their own homes. So a patient might be able to have a drug printer at home. And instead of going out and, pres- you know, having to fill a prescription. Yeah, having to go down to the pharmacy or yeah. chemist or whatever you call it. Yeah, you, instead of having to go down there, you would instead uh, have a doctor's prescription for an algorithm. And the algorithm would be whatever your printer would need to do to create the to actual chemically drug. compose the, this drug, yeah. Yeah, so it have a bunch of chemical inks to pull from. And the combining of those chemical inks in various temperatures, etc., would allow for the creation of the drugs. Now, this is very much a future-oriented idea uh, it's, for many reasons. I think future-oriented is a polite way of putting it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say we're, this is... We're dubious. Yeah, we... Lauren and I both think that this is probably... If, if it does happen, it's going to have to overcome some significant hurdles. And not just technological hurdles, although there's certainly that. Oh, right? well, certainly. It's not like the, the 3D printers that we have today. Uh, even the most fabulous ones and the most fabulous labs uh, are capable of molecularly combining stuff. That's, yeah. that's a different issue. Yeah. So even if you had, you know, 40 different quote unquote inks, chemical inks, you know, you would have to design a printer that would be able to use all those properly to to build whichever drug you were specifically trying to make. Yeah. Plus then you also have to worry about, well, let's say, let's say that I do that. Let's say that I've built the printer. How okay, do- that's a really big step. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, cause, cause right now what you're talking about is having like a tub of powdered drug yeah. that you give to a patient, which seems like a poor plan. Well, let's, let's say that but, I've got, but, but, but let's say that we've worked this out. Yeah. I've got, sure. I've got a, I've got a, Somehow I've got like a, a cartridge that has all the different chemical components uh, for various drugs okay. and that the printer can can access these in the appropriate amounts to make a drug. But then even then, even saying I've somehow solved that problem, which is a huge if, mm-hmm. you still have other issues like cleanliness. I mean, if anything contaminates that, then you've got a 
possible toxicity problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine that you have to print like let's say it's for a family and you're printing out drugs to treat one person who is elderly and needs a certain type of medication. But then your child falls sick and you need to be able to treat your child, too. Yeah. And so so all of a sudden you've got you've got Nana's heart medicine yeah. and little Susie's Tylenol yeah. all in the same printer. What if there's crossover contamination? And not not good times. Super scary. So uh-huh. so there's there's that basic technological hurdle, which maybe is not insurmountable, but certainly is not something that we can achieve right now in the home. Yeah, I'm just I, I, just the number of potential problems that I'm thinking of with this. And, and you know, this this is naysaying. Yeah. But but man, like, you know, th- think of all the problems that your normal like PLA plastic sure. printer has. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like, we're thinking about the ones that we've had. Like, we've we've had some deformed chess pieces come out of our <laughs> I, Yeah, but, but, you know, right. Like, but if if, if that kind of thing messes up, you, you've wasted a tiny bit of plastic. Right, as opposed to a human life. And some of your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This this is, it, it could be so dangerous and very expensive to make that kind of mistake. Right. So even even if somehow we were to solve all that, we still have other issues. We've got ethical issues to consider. For example, what if someone gets hold of one of these and starts using it to make illicit drugs? Um, you now, you could try and build protections in place to prevent that from happening. But here's the deal. When there is something technological out there, that means it's hackable. Mm-hmm. That means people will find ways to manipulate that to some extent or another. They may not be able to completely revolutionize it, completely change it, but they might be able to nudge it enough to make a real problem happen. Oh, certainly. So, certainly. so ethical and legal mm-hmm. uh, issues are here besides the technological ones. Yeah. But either way, uh, even, even if this technology never sees that kind of application, uh, it, it still it still has those those other upsides that we were talking about, yeah. you know, like certainly for doctors and pharmacies. Sure. And uh, and, and it could also potentially help with with uh, with with development of drugs. Yes. It means that you could prototype drugs much more quickly. If you were developing a drug and you want to test the efficacy, you want to find out what the uh, actual pharmacological dosage is, the, the what is the effective uh, dose for treating whatever ailment it might be. You know, that's a lot of trial and error. If you have a 3D printing mechanism where you can say, all right, well, let's print a pill that has, you know, five milligrams of the effective drug in it or one that has 10 or 15. And then you can test each one to find out where those thresholds are, both for the effectiveness of the drug and even the potential toxicity of the drug. Then that could make the medication uh, much safer, much earlier than yeah. traditional methods. And saving lab time is uh, is a terrific way to get, you know, cheaper drugs. Yeah. So yeah, and and that's definitely in the news right now. I'm not going to go Oof. into it because boy, it made me mad. Indeed, right. but uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about something that 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 person involved in that news story lacks, which is heart. Yeah, that's very well put, Lauren. I like how civil we are being while we're both extremely angry about this. Um, yes, if you wanted to ever give your heart to your sweetie, you could po- possibly do that by undergoing an MRI and then having that uh, information mapped out and then printed in a 3D model where you actually have a 3D model of your heart. This would be the uh, sort of the the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom method of giving your sweetheart your a Valentine's. Away. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like little. Little, Actually, like, I I can if if this if this technology ever ever grows to a consumer market, like I I know 
20 people off the top of my head who would do it like we, we, today. We know the same 20 people. Yes. I'm, th- lots of names. I mean, I'm, uh, a, a certain puppeteer we both know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's tons Many of people. Many of them are artists. Yeah. Weird. Who'd thunk? Uh, uh, but, but, but more, more critically and to the point of this episode, this could be terrific for heart surgeons. Yeah. So this is actually not the, the idea of making a model of a heart for a surgeon to get a look at before performing surgery on a specific patient mm-hmm. is not entirely new. Oh, uh, no, that's no. something that's been done for a while. But the 3D printing and the development of a new algorithm are making uh, this a faster process that could uh, save a lot of time. And for some patients, time is the difference between a life-saving operation and sadly a passing away. Oh, so, absolutely. So this yeah. could have a real difference. And uh This all comes down to a partnership between MIT and Boston Children's Hospital. And they started looking at a way to create 3D printed hearts using a computer algorithm to build out as much of the heart as possible into a a kind of a 3D model so that Mm -hmm. it could then be printed um, and taking out the element as much as you could of having a human have look at have to go by like frame by frame and yeah. and check and make sure that everything matches up to to probable reality based on these MRI scans. Yeah, so MRIs uh when they when they do an MRI scan, you get a bunch of cross sections of a three-dimensional object. Mm-hmm. And MRIs have light sections and dark sections that tell you about different tissues and different uh, uh, anatomical features. And generally speaking, the boundaries between the two tend to show a actual edge of an anatomical structure, like an aorta, for mm-hmm. example. But they don't always. Sometimes that b- border is deceptive. It's not actually an anatomical feature. Mm-hmm. So usually what would happen is Experts would pore over these images and kind of manually tweak what they believe to be the actual boundaries of any anatomical feature of the heart. Mm-hmm. So that they could tell the, the 3D printer what to do. Yeah. So this process would take 10 hours on average mm-hmm. for experts to go over all the information. That's before you even sent it to be built. Mm-hmm. Right. So. The MIT and Boston uh, Children's Hospital partnership is all about creating this algorithm that can take a little bit of information from an expert and then extrapolate based on that information what the rest of the MRI actually means. And what they did was they divided the heart up into nine sections Mm -hmm. and they had uh, the expert give a little bit of information about each section. And then the algorithm took over from the, from there. So while the algorithm knew a little bit about nine different sections of the heart, it had to extrapolate the rest. And they found that it agreed uh, at, at 90% of the experts belief of what was actually represented in the MRI. Uh, right, right. And it, and it, yeah, so it cut down this this eight to 10 hour process, this full extra day that you're adding to the prep for a surgery yeah. down to, to to nothing that humans really had to do. Yeah, it's, it's down to like an hour total just to build out the model and uh-huh. then another couple of hours to physically build the heart with the 3D printer. So yeah. something that took 10 hours just for the analysis mm-hmm. now took Three, three to four hours total to have a finished model heart that the surgeon could then use to plan out uh, surgical procedures. Uh, right. Because 
you know, usually if someone is having heart surgery, it means that there's something irregular about the structure of their heart. Right. And so it's extra. It's really, really cool to, to be able to have the surgeon who's going to be working with it. You know, the, the imaging alone is terrific. But yep. being able to actually hold that image uh, and or hold that model mm-hmm. and and poke into it with stuff is has to be just incredible. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, one of the quotes that we saw around this uh, was uh, from uh, Polina Galland of MIT, uh, a computer scientist with MIT, who mm-hmm. said that the phrase I heard is that surgeons see with their hands. So a surgeon getting his or her hands on a model heart has a much better feel for what they need to do when the surgery is is when it's time to actually perform the surgery. So this is not something that's just being rushed into practice. In fact, it's being put into a very controlled test system. Uh, yes, yeah, seven cardiac surgeons at Boston Children's Hospital are going to uh, be, be working with this new technology. Right, exactly. So no patient's lives will be at risk. What they're doing is they're actually going to use 10 cases that have already gone through treatment. So these are people who have already had surgical procedures done on them, and they're just using the data from those 10 cases. So the patients are gone. Uh, they, yeah. They've left the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their information remains. And so these seven cardiac surgeons are going to get these 10 cases, which includes all the MRI data that was gathered about the different patients and will include either a physical model or a 3D model that will be randomly determined on each case basis for each surgeon. And the source of the information for that physical model or 3D model will either be from the traditional 10 hours of expert analysis Mm -hmm. or through this computer algorithm. All of that's going to be randomly determined. I imagine they're going to do this in a double-blind approach. Hopefully. So that none of the cardiac surgeons will be aware if the model they have came from the traditional method or through the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Then all the cardiac surgeons will describe what their process would be, what their plan would be for surgery for that particular case out of all the 10 cases. Mm -hmm. And then what will happen is at the very end of it, they will start to compare what was actually done in the in the. Yeah, Ten the, cases. Yeah, the, the the plan that the actual surgeons made with the traditional stuff. Yeah, and uh, also what the outcome was. Like, mm-hmm. did the model re- accurately represent what was right. really in that right. patient? And then after all of that, they're going to see if the algorithm 3D approach is uh, is something that would be of value to the right. surgeons. Right. So something that that hypothetically would have created a better plan. Uh, it could also help reduce problems after surgery because sometimes prosthetic patches need to be be applied to the heart mm-hmm. and of course having you know the wrong shape or the wrong size of patch even even slightly off can wind up causing damage like lesions and stuff like that down sure. the line and so this technology could let surgeons tailor 3D printed patches to the patients a lot more easily yeah it's pretty pretty cool stuff and uh so we really pleased when we saw this one. Also, if you get a chance to look at the stories, you can see the the actual 3D models that have been printed, and they're pretty funky looking. They're they're a little bit gruesome. I like them a lot. Yeah. I want some. Yeah. Uh, you wonder if you can actually request what color 
of plastic they're going to print yours in. Pro- probably clear all around. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. It kind of had a bluish tinge, but I yeah. couldn't tell if that was just the background. <laughs> sure, sure. They're, and, and, and the, the 3D printed models are, are just made of, uh, you know, conventional plastics. Yeah. 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 They're not made out of anything particularly, uh, bizarre or icky, but, Something that is made of particular stuff <laughs> is our third and final story in our 3D printed uh, med- medicine kind of uh, episode, which is this idea of creating 3D printed scaffolding specifically to encourage nerve regeneration in the wake of injury or illness. Uh, yeah, because when your nerves are damaged, that that sucks. Yeah, you could be in severe pain or even suffer paralysis as a result of it. Uh, yeah, and it, and it can be very difficult to get nerves to regrow, especially through damaged tissue, mm-hmm. which tends to be the case when you have had nerve damage. Yeah, so it's a, a, a very tough problem. And so we can we've seen some ways where uh, people have have tried to address nerve damage. We've seen some surgical attempts that involve grafting healthy nerves uh, in the area where there was nerve damage. And that uh, that's exactly what it sounds like. A surgeon will take healthy nerves from one part of your body and then graft them onto the nerves in your damaged or, or ill part of your body, whichever part suffered the nerve damage in the first place. Uh, right. But there can be a lot of problems with, with that. You know, the, the graft can be rejected by, yep. by your body sometimes. Yep. Right. Or also you could have uh, lasting pain in the site of where they harvested the nerves in the first place. So in other words, you oh, just traded right. where the nerve damage yeah, was. Yeah, because you're you're losing. Yeah, so so it's it's not ideal. Yeah, and and the plus you have to have two surgeries in that case. Mm-hmm. You have to have one on the site where they're harvesting and one on the site where they need to implant it. Yeah, and of of course, li- limiting that kind of invasion is one of the 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 major points of modern medicine. Yeah, because as we know, anytime you have any kind of surgical incision, you are opening up the opportunity for infection and. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the fewer surgeries that are required to address any one problem, the better, right? As long as they're effective, obviously. You don't want to undergo ineffective medical procedures for something. Right, right. Well, we thought we would put a horse in this one. We dipped her in a pond. Uh, Didn't seem to help, but it was at least entertaining. Uh, So there's, there's an alternate area of research besides nerve grafting, which involves building channels for nerves to grow through. The idea being that you can create these pathways for the nerves, plus incorporate proteins within those channels mm-hmm. that encourage nerve growth so that you can kind of uh, egg this regeneration process along, uh, and get yeah. it going. And you can do that without the use of 3D imaging and printing. However, if you use 3D imaging and printing, you can you can fit the channels specifically to a patient's body. Uh, again, therefore, making the whole thing much more effective, especially if you're trying to correct a, a large or a complex area of damage. Right, because nerve pathways can be geometrically complex. And mm-hmm. in fact, that's what the uh, experts who were the researchers who are trying to build out these 3D printed nerve pathways are doing. They, they specifically wanted to look at uh, complex geometrical patterns. Yeah, because it's it's not like in illustrations in your elementary school health books where all the nerves just go in a single straight line yeah, right down all your limbs. Little linear nerve and then mm-hmm. everything else works just fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it gets a little more complex than that. It's not like the streets of New York. It's not a it's not a basic grid. System. No, no, it's more like Atlanta where <laughs> you you make a wrong turn and you end up in Alabama because you couldn't figure out how to get back to where you were. At any on rate, another street named Peachtree. They're all Peachtree. Uh, so 
yeah, this this approach is really interesting. They end up scanning a nerve, which involves a little invasiveness. Uh, the the way they did it with mice was that they'd made an incision and then used a light scanner to get a uh, a three dimensional model of a nerve's pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously they had to expose the nerve first to get this image. Then they were able to create this 3D printed channel uh, out of silicone was the main material. But then they also included proteins that would be used to encourage the growth of nerves and also to to, quote unquote, explain to the nerve, hey, you need to split here. We need right. one channel going this way and one going this way. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's. It seems to be working as a proof of concept. We are still years away from this potentially, potentially at least years away from this being used for humans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're not even in human testing yet. No, we're in Petri dish and mouse territory Mm -hmm. right now. Uh, But it does seem like this could potentially help people regenerate nerves further down the line, which would be fantastic for people who suffer from these these kind of debilitating injuries or illnesses. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me is a really cool story, too. We've seen a lot of really interesting ones pop up recently. All three of these actually are are recent stories that popped up in our newsfeed. And we just thought it was interesting that that three different applications of 3D printing that are so different, but but have so much hope for, for really improving doctors and inpatients' lives. Yeah. Both. Yeah. We we just figured that we needed to have a conversation about this. It yeah. was it was the right time to do it. Yeah. Also it's really nice to occasionally talk about happy stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, not not about how uh you know something is, is a, a an existential threat. That is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't wait to hear now now in the interest of full disclosure, uh the week following the one that we're recording this episode on, I will be on vacation. So I can't wait to find out what kind of world destroying bugs you guys will be talking about when I come back. All the good ones. Yeah. Because every time I come back it's either about the world coming to an end or bugs. Look, bugs are the future. They're also the past. They're also everywhere. Yeah, they, I've been having a housefly problem at my oh, house recently. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's that's that is that. I hope that's not the future for you. Every time I every time I get rid of one, I find two more, and it's starting to really get to me. I would say bug me, but you know I'm above such things. Uh, all right, so Since when? <laughs> yeah, well, I still made the joke. I just. Got to pretend like I was above it. Oh, oh. But yeah, this concludes our discussion. If you guys have any thoughts about 3D printing, something that maybe we haven't covered yet that you think, hey, you know, I can't believe you guys have done 20 episodes of 3D printing and not talked about this. Yeah. Let us know because mm-hmm. we love talking about it. Also, if you have any other topics, anything else that you want to know about, how is this going to work in the future? Send us your suggestion. We love hearing from you guys. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter, Google+, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google+, we are FW Thinking. Just search FW Thinking and Facebook. Our profile will pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new, season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.